Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Greetings. Grab a cup of coffee, have a seat. We're going to go through the top 10 divorce misconceptions that will unnecessarily create drama and a lot more emotional, physical, and financial expense for you. They're in no particular order. They're just what I hear constantly as the top 10 misleading ideas about divorce. So here we go. Number one, getting legal advice is being disloyal to your spouse. Quote, we decided we wanted to keep it amicable and going to an attorney makes it litigious. No, it doesn't. None of that is true. Going to an attorney to find out the law of the land in your state is the smartest thing you can do. You don't have to hire an attorney to represent you. All you have to do is pay an attorney for one hour of their time. Have questions lined up, things that are important to you, things that you're pretty sure are going to come up. Do a little research on your own in Google about the laws of your state and, you know, put in the Google toolbar whatever the question is and then put your state in there. And what will come up are answers. And then you process that, print that out, And then take the information to an attorney and really go through with an attorney what your legal rights are, what the legal rights of your spouse are, and the decisions that you're going to have to make depending on what your assets and debts are and if you have children or not and whether there will be alimony slash spousal support or not. Spousal support slash alimony is very different in every state. Some states really don't even cover it anymore. So you do have to go to an attorney. I mean, if you have absolutely no money whatsoever, going to Google Law School, as I kiddingly say, uh, will help you. And I mean researching on Google will help you. But you do need information. You cannot go through a divorce whether you're filing on your own, which good luck, by the way. It's the hardest thing to do is file on your own. But if you're filing on your own or going to one of these online services or going to a document preparation company, they don't have them in every state. They certainly do in California where I'm at because I do provide that service. But all of these people, None of these people can give you legal advice. They're not supposed to. Only an attorney is supposed to give you legal advice. And so you want to have an attorney that you trust. Now, I would say go to a couple attorneys because what you're going to find in the world of attorneys, not all attorneys are created equal and not all attorneys communicate well. And so what you need to do is go to a couple attorneys, hopefully you can afford it, just pay for legal advice, just do a one-on-one meeting, whether it's on Zoom or in the office or on the phone. I would say Zoom or in the office. I think people should look at one another when they talk. I think it makes a world of difference when you're looking at the person you're speaking to and paying. But I think you should go to more than one attorney because... Well, 
Some attorneys may simply want your money and may scare you unnecessarily. That's why you should go to two attorneys. Obviously, I think three is the best, but not everybody will go to three attorneys. But go to two if you can. Go to one absolutely necessary. And so here's what you do. You do your own research first. You line up the questions that you have. You line up also the areas of concern that you have. And you take notes. So you do not drive in a car while you're on the phone with the attorney. And please don't go to attorneys and think that you're scamming them or uh, not paying them, that, that they're supposed to give you free legal advice. Don't do that to anybody. When you honor an attorney's time, hopefully they honor you, your time and your money. Pay them for their expertise and for their time. Do not try and get free legal advice. When you try and get free legal advice, your time with the attorney will be limited to 10 or 15 minutes, and you can't really accomplish anything with that. You do need to fully discuss every point that's on your list. And then when you're done, repeat back to the attorney what you think they've said. Yes. Because here's what happens. People do their best and they think they're absorbing the information. But because this is a completely different language that you're speaking, that unless you've gotten divorced before, it's a new language and it's a language you're not going to process perfectly the first time around. So what I would do is go over each point, say, okay, here's what I think you said. And then the attorney will correct you because invariably... It won't be what the attorney said. And here's why I know this. People come to my office. They do what I've asked them to do before they come to a mediation or before they file. If they're forthcoming with the fact that they went to an attorney and people are still very sheepish, they don't want to say in front of their spouse that they've gone to see an attorney, which is absolutely the smartest thing you can do. And your spouse should go to an attorney. That's the smartest thing he or she can do. So anyway, people come to my office and they start telling me what their attorney said. And I'm like, um, first of all, I think you should go back to the attorney and readdress the question in this way. And by that, I'm saying you either picked up the wrong information, did not hear it properly, and you know how hard it is to repeat back perfectly what somebody has said just casually. If you try and repeat a story somebody's told you, you'll change some of the elements of the story without knowing you're changing them innocently. And that happens all the time. You're nervous when you're talking to an attorney, right? Nobody's comfortable. Nobody is calm and relaxed when they're talking to an attorney. They're hyper. They're on edge. They're in defense mode. They're afraid. It's, it's an unknown landscape that you're walking into. So absolutely, you have to repeat back what you believe the attorney has said. And only then will you be able to repeat back what your attorney told you when you're in a meeting, in a mediation. 
And, and you really need to be conversant with that. And you know what? If you need to call back and have a second session, do it. It is so worth it because it'll save you time, money, expense, emotionally, physically. You know, people really get sick during divorce. Stress kills. So you want to give yourself every opportunity to not have stress. You want to face the reality of the laws of your state. And you can only do that by talking it through with an attorney. And when you talk to two attorneys, you'll understand what I'm saying. Not all attorneys are created equal in terms of how they express themselves, in terms of how they explain things to the layperson, and in terms of talking to you in a way that may make you think you need the attorney when all you do is need information. The reason why people have to hire attorneys to represent them is because they can't speak to one another and they really do feel that that there's no level of trust, that the other spouse may be conning them, may be holding back assets, may not be forthcoming with information. You know, that's why people hire attorneys to represent them. The attorneys then talk to one another for both of you. And that's perfectly fine if that's the situation that you're in. But if you can actually talk to one another and all you need is to be clear, then do it. And even if you want to go off law, you know, people go to attorneys and get legal advice and then they say, okay, that's fine. I get it, but we kind of want to do things differently, can we? And the attorneys, at least in California, should say, yes, as long as you have a settlement agreement. That's the difference. As long as you have a settlement agreement and you're not asking for something that the law would never, ever support, um, then you may get rejected. But no, the law will support any division of assets or debts as long as there's a settlement agreement. The law will support no child support, no spousal support. As long as there's a settlement agreement and, and you can show that you can both pay for your children. so. You absolutely want to get legal advice. It is not being disloyal. It's being smart. And I want you to be as smart as you can possibly be in your divorce because the smarter you are, the more knowledgeable you are, the less you will have decision maker remorse when the divorce is over and the dust settles. And then you say, why did I do that? Why did I settle for that? Why didn't I stick to what I wanted? But you need legal advice to get there. Okay, number two. Filing a response to the petition makes the divorce contentious. Well, you know, I just had an example of this last week where the parties did go to a legal professional, I believe an attorney, to file the petition set. And then they went to a courthouse and... uh engaged in a procedure that I think worked really well for them. They engaged in mediation uh, and, and they did their disclosure forms. But I believe there was something that they signed that I think they got wrong in their understanding. And I think what they got wrong was they signed off on the respondent not filing a response to the petition. I think, and this is my conjecture until I see the forms, 
I think they signed off on something that stated they weren't going to go to trial, which makes more sense if you're going to use a mediator from the courthouse to work out your settlement. Now, it's a courthouse that I do file in, but not as often as Los Angeles County. Obviously, most of my clients come from Los Angeles County, and we don't have, to my knowledge, anything like that. But let's talk about filing a response. At least in the state of California, filing a response is arbitrary. I'm guessing it's the same in other states. I don't know that a state can force a respondent to file a response. But let's talk about the state of California where most of my listeners come from. It is an arbitrary form. You are not required to file it. And filing a response does not mean you have a contentious divorce. Filing a response still allows you to have an uncontested divorce. So what makes a divorce contested? Going to trial. Hearings and trials. That means you have a contested divorce. That means you you need the judge to make decisions for you because you're not able to, even in mediation, come to some compromised decisions on your own. But here's what a response does. A response gives the respondent an equal voice with the court as the petitioner in case you need to use the court to step in and make decisions for you, either before the divorce is final or after the divorce is final. Here's how I explain it to my clients. If you have minor children, And especially if they're young and you have a lot of years of co-parenting, decisions, custody, child support, the respondent absolutely should consider filing a response. The response form in California looks exactly like the petition. It's the respondent's opportunity to answer those questions differently if they want to, But if they agree with every single thing on the petition, and most people who come here agree with every single thing on the petition, they do. Um, So filing a response in that case gives you an equal standing with the court in order to be able to use the court if you need a judge to step in and make a decision. And especially if the settlement agreement falls apart after the divorce is final. Both parties need equal opportunity to be able to use the court in a decision-making capacity by the judge. That's the value of a response. Now, when is a response kind of a waste of time and a waste of money? Because there is a filing fee that goes along with the response. When there are no big assets to divide or nobody's dividing anything, and there's no support, whether it's uh, no spousal support, that's when a response may not be necessary. And I do get cases like that. Everybody gets cases like that. But do not get worried if you're the petitioner and the respondent is filing a response, they're filling out the form exactly the way you filled out the petition. Don't worry that anything horrible is going to happen. And I know the natural disposition of everybody is to be in fear mode, but as long as you can communicate and talk, as long as you can be honest with one another, don't worry and let the respondent file a response if they feel that they're buying themselves an insurance policy, so to speak, 
because it's their right to do that. Just like it was your right to be the petitioner and file the petition. So allow that to happen. And the more you can keep talking, the better it is for both of you. Number three, more parenting time will be given to mom. And that's the fear of most men if they go to court. Well, it really depends on the judge. It really does. So let's just talk about the new disposition of the court. The new disposition of the court nationwide is that both parents are important to the children and both parents need to be able to see the children and everybody starts from an equal basis. As long as there's no issues like substance abuse, anger management, high conflict personalities that show themselves in court, uh, or a, a record of reckless abandonment. You leave the house and you leave your children there and they're too small to watch themselves. That's when you need to fear the court giving more time to the mom. But the times have changed in, in court land. It used to be moms got primary or sole custody and they got to be the ones that would decide when dad got to see the kids, but not so much anymore. And moms, if you allow this to work to your advantage, you get time off. You actually get time off. As long as you're not uncomfortable with the way dad would be monitoring the children's behavior and dad, you can't work while the kids are around you. Mom and dad both need to pay attention to the children. And if you, dad, can do things like, okay, mom, I want you to be comfortable. You know I love my children. You know I'm a participatory dad. Tell me what you need from me to make you super comfortable that the kids are going to be taken care of while they're with me. If you can open up a dialogue like that and not let the court decide and let mom uh, guide you and let, and share with you her fears. And please be open to that. You can move forward with that from that old paradigm that did exist that dads don't get as much parenting time. And there are still judges that fall into that old school judges or judges that may have had tough divorces themselves or judges that just may have an edge and not be real. Um, kid-friendly, may have come from another area of law and are not quite as conversant with family law as they should be. That happens now. Shockingly, when people, lawyers, apply for judgeships, they're not always given judgeships in the area of law in which they practiced. I find that shocking, appalling, and detrimental to the fairness of both parties coming in front of the judge. See an attorney to see if you can get your case moved. If you're looking at a judge that just sat on the bench and didn't practice family law, talk to an attorney and see if you can get the case moved to another judge. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but your case is important and you need a judge to rule on it who has family law experience. But going back to the old paradigm, moms get more uh, time than kids. Well, you know what? At different ages, different things. Like if there's a newborn infant, I've seen judges write minute orders that say, mom, just pump milk, give it to dad, 
I want an equal time with both mom and dad. Okay, mothers will probably fall on the floor and faint when they hear that. But it does happen. Or a judge will say mom has primary custody until the child is age one or two or three. And then we can go to an equal timeshare or timeshare that gives dad more time. I've seen that. And so dads think about that. So I know dads are afraid that if they set up a routine where mom has a little more time, the child's an infant, the child's breastfeeding. I know dads can be afraid that they'll never get that time back, but that's not true. There's what we call a step-up plan, that if you're doing an out-of-court divorce in terms of you're not going to a hearing, there, there will be no trial, you're getting this done with mediators, put a step-up plan in your settlement agreement, meaning... Uh, For example, the first year, uh, primary custody will be with mom, dad will come and visit with the child, uh, dinners with the child, whatever you can do, read stories, put the child to bed. And then at age one or two, then you start putting overnight stays with dad. And then maybe by age three or four, you've got an equal division of time, if that's what dad wants. But maybe dad can't handle an equal division of time, not because there's anything wrong with dad, but maybe just because their job is too demanding. And in order to keep money flowing so that the kids can be well supported, dad has to keep working overtime. Well, then dad, that's what you have to do. But make sure the time you have with your children is absolutely quality time. You look at your schedule at work, pick them up from school when you can. Don't send the girlfriend. God forbid, don't send the girlfriend. You want to really cause a stir with mom, send the girlfriend or boyfriend, whomever. Don't do that. Be participatory. Be front and center dad when it's your turn. Show up for the kids. Show that you want to do everything humanly possible to do exactly what mom's doing, to provide an equal experience of parenting with the children. Do not drop them off at your parents' house consistently unless it's just for a couple hours after school. Maybe grandparents pick up the kids and you pick them up immediately when work is over. You know, so, but, but when you have them at home, do not work until they go to bed. Be with them, do their homework, feed them. I mean, you're not going to have them for that long as kids. You know, enjoy every moment until you want to pull your hair out and they're teenagers and you want mom to have more of the tie. (laughs) Kidding. All right, number four. The judge will see my side if we go to court, so you better do what I want now. Okay, no. Misconception. You never know what the judge is going to do. The judge is a wild card. The judge, first of all, has to follow the law of the state. Primary. The judge has to follow the law of the state. But with that, there's wiggle room in the laws of the state. I wish it weren't true, but there is. There's a little bit of wiggle room. Not everything is black and white. So, in order to keep control, don't go to court. Don't threaten going to court, though. That's ridiculous to threaten going to court. You want to threaten going to court? Trust me, it'll it'll um, it'll turn around on you. It'll it'll bite you. 
Yes, it will. Do not threaten court if you don't get your way. Talk it out because you really, really, really never know what the judge is going to say. I am in shock at some of the orders I've seen coming from the bench. Appalled at some of the orders I see. I mean, I've seen orders that make zero sense. You've had expert witnesses talking about how one spouse is really screwed up, wrecks the car all the time, in and out of rehab, and they get time with the kids. I want to shoot myself when I see stuff like that. And I'm, I'm like, well, what is the judge thinking? What does the judge need? Witnesses to say things have gone wrong. Neighbors coming in to talk, judge doesn't care. I've seen egregious things come off the bench. And then I've seen really good decisions. But no, you don't know what the judge is going to do. The judge is not an emotional creature. Shouldn't be. The judge should deal with law only. So be careful that you understand the law and don't put yourself out there making threats. It really will come back to haunt you and make you look ridiculous. And you don't want that to happen. You want well thought out decisions every step of the way in the divorce process. Number five, I'm going to hire the biggest shark lawyer known to mankind. And I'm going to win this. Okay, be careful. Because the biggest shark lawyer may upset the judge. The biggest shark lawyer may make you look horrible, especially if your spouse gets somebody very knowledgeable, very intelligent, very studied, and can calmly, professionally, and respectfully hold their ground. Then that makes the the rude lawyer an asshole lawyer. And you don't want an asshole representing you. But you do want somebody, and I'll use a case that harkens back to my last example, my last misconception. There are lawyers who only represent men. And their whole job is for parenting rights for the kids. I get why you want to hire a lawyer like that. Just make sure the lawyer isn't rude. Just make sure the lawyer is respectful knowledgeable, thorough, and has a track record of getting a better timeshare if it's about custody of the kids, a better timeshare if that's why you're hiring that lawyer. But listen, I have a colleague who represented herself years before I got into the divorce business. She's uh, She represented herself because she didn't have the money to hire a lawyer. Her ex-husband hired the most expensive law firm in California, thousand dollar an hour lawyer. And the lawyer was rude and disrespectful and talked down to her. And she kept her poise, composure. She had done her research. She consulted with attorneys so she knew the law. She made sure everything she submitted to the court was correct. And the judge actually admonished the lawyer for being rude and disrespectful to her, and the case came out well. It came out as it needed to come out, simply based on state law, and that's the way it should be. So yes, you can represent yourself against a rude attorney. The court doesn't like rude. The court doesn't like to see one attorney pummel a self-represented client. 
especially if a self-represented client handles themselves well. But then again, I had another client, I'm arguing different cases now. I had another client, very soft-spoken woman, made a lot of mistakes representing herself, didn't follow through things follow through with things like she should, didn't pull evidence together like she should. She was such a meek individual. So the the divorce dragged on long enough that she kind of got her sea legs more, was more knowledgeable about the law. And somehow her ex-husband found these lawyers that would represent him And the last lawyer that represented him either knew the judge or I kind of think maybe knew the judge because she told me that they were talking like they had just had dinner together. And that does happen. Judges and attorneys do have dinner together. I know it feels awful, but it's an incestuous business. I mean, what do you do? You tend to gravitate towards your colleagues, people you know. And judges were attorneys before they became judges. So if you knew a judge as an attorney before the judgeship and your friends, what are you going to do? You're still going to hang out, right? Okay. So she's at the last trial. And she said it was like she didn't exist in court. The attorney and the judge kind of talked about her and around her, and the judge wouldn't let her talk, wouldn't let her really express herself the way she wanted to. And and that's when I said, I think it's time to hire an attorney and really get this puppy turned around because you tried. You really tried. And sometimes you just get a judge who's arrogant and prejudicial. You know, I used to go to this yearly annual event uh, uh, put on by a lawyer's association, and it was mostly lawyers in the room, and it was about prejudices, prejudices that everybody has, and prejudices that may affect cases, divorce cases. This was all about family law. And during lunch, there would be a whole panel of like eight to 10 uh, judges talking about their biases, being very honest about their biases and explaining to attorneys, now you know my biases, I fight hard against them, but please make sure your clients um, don't do anything to uh, call upon my biases. Whether it's dressing like crap in the courtroom, it's appalling how some people show up. They don't consider the respect of the court important, and the court does. And it's understanding that you don't talk if you have an attorney. You can't just pipe up and start talking. You can't do that. So there's certain behavior that you have to adhere to. But, um, yeah, judges have biases. Get ready for that. Research the judge before you go in if you're self-representing. All right, number six, the mediator or document preparer folks like me can give legal advice and consulting. No, no, and no. No, we're not allowed to give legal advice. We're not allowed to consult. In fact, even if you have an attorney mediator, they're not allowed to, to quote the law. You're supposed to go to separate attorneys learn the law, and then come back. And if you're with a document preparation company, tell them what you want to see in the 
settlement agreement. If you're with a mediator, um, don't ask for legal advice. Come prepared to have a discussion about how you would like to see decisions go, but do not expect any of these people to give you legal advice. If a mediator, even an attorney mediator, um, gives you legal advice, they've become not neutral because legal advice will favor one person over another if there's a dispute. And you don't want to take your mediator out of a neutral position. So do not expect consulting or legal advice to come out of anybody other than a bona fide attorney hired by you for you. Number seven, Filing a huge brief or statement at a hearing will help you win the judge, the judge's advantage in court. Well, absolutely not. Do you know how little time a judge has to look over your case? Very little, five minutes. Before, before it's your turn up, the judge has like five minutes to look over what was filed. So I have begged people who wanted to do 50 page statements. 25 page statements. Um, I have begged them not to do it. And in each and every time they've overridden me, the judge couldn't read it. There's no time to read it. And there's no time to process it sitting there with you standing in front of the judge. A wise judge once said to me, one page, two at the most. Be clear about what you're asking for. Do not regurgitate the entire history of the relationship. Don't need it. Deal in present time. This is what I would like. This is why. If you can nail it in two pages, this judge said, set me up to say, I get it. Give me a pen. I'm going to sign off. That's how clear concise you want to be in a brief. So when I've inherited cases from attorneys and I see attorneys have written these briefs, I'm like, why? Why? You don't need all of this. And how is a judge supposed to find the time to read it? It will always work to your detriment to file something that's so huge that a judge has zero opportunity to understand what's in there. And then get somebody to edit it for you. People's grammar skills are not good. They really aren't. Punctuation, who's heard of it sometimes? You know, a judge needs to be able to have a clearly written document that just nails each point concisely, cleanly, clearly. This is what happened. This is what I would like. This is the situation. This is what I would like. And really and truly, if you get the right person to help you edit it, you have the best chance of a judge wrapping their head around what you're saying and say, okay, I get it. I get it. Uh, do you have anything to say? All right, here's my ruling. Just get it to move quickly and get it to be clearly understand, understandable. Number eight, the first person who files has the upper hand or advantage. No, not at all. Doesn't matter. No, because the, 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 the thing in the petition filing, which is the first thing, is how you fill out the petition. You serve the respondent and then they get to respond differently if they don't like what's in the petition. It's really that easy. There is no advantage to being the petitioner. There really, really isn't uh, because the 
respondent always has the opportunity to file a response and answer things differently. And now you have to negotiate anyway. The petitioner, though, in some cases, has to be the person who moves the case forward now. So you can be waiting all day for your spouse to say, okay, I'm ready, okay, I'm ready, okay, I'm ready. And I am a firm believer in you need to go through the emotional divorce before you file for the legal divorce. So I think both people need to process the grief of the marriage ending and process the reasons why, not to blame to be self-reflective, to understand, and to learn from the experience of being married so that if you get married again, you'll have a different experience, a better experience. Sometimes one person has to lead the charge because the other person just isn't ever going to be ready. So you give enough time to go through the grieving for both people to process. It's not linear. You may have to wait up to a year after you decide the divorce has to happen. You know, you may be living in the same house or if you establish separate households, do the best to pay the bills, do the best to support the kids, do the best to live, you know, well, like nobody's hurting for things and process that grief first and then start the filing. Now, If that has already taken place and you still can't get your spouse to say, okay, I'm ready, then what will trigger the spouse being ready is that you filed. And so then you just have to take the lead and move it forward. And then once the petition is filed and you serve the respondent, now things go forward. And if you still can't get the respondent to move, even after you've served him or her, uh, then you go to an attorney and you learn what the process is in your state for moving forward on your own, if that's possible. You can do that in California. Under certain circumstances, you can move forward on your own. I don't know what that's like in every state, but go to an attorney and they'll tell you. Because you can't stop a divorce from going forward. If somebody wants divorced, you're going to get divorced. You know, one person can only hold up the divorce for so long. And that's why I say you have to consult a few attorneys because some attorneys will allow it to drag out because they make more money. Other attorneys care less about the money. They care about the service. They care about the pain their clients are going through and they know it needs to move forward. So that becomes a sticky situation. in which your attorney may not be moving as fast as they should for you, get another attorney. You don't have to stick with the same attorney. If you have an attorney that's not moving things forward fast enough and your spouse isn't doing a thing, get another attorney because you you have to move it forward. You can move it forward. There are ways to do it. You just need to learn what they are. But no, the petitioner does not have an advantage unless the respondent refuses to participate. And then it's all about the petitioner, you know, executing the divorce. Number nine, asking for financial damages because the marriage didn't work out. You know, I've been asked that a few times. I want punitive damages. I want $100,000 because they didn't fulfill their marital duties. So no, that's not going to happen. No. Forget that. 
There's no punitive damages. You just get division of assets or debts. You get spousal support. You get child support. That's all you get. That's what divorce is. It is uh, either dividing community property or having uh, a legal professional assign a division of assets or debts in an equal, uh, equal division of assets state. So you have equal division of assets state um, or a community property. Um, equitable, sorry about that, not even equitable division of assets. The word equitable is tricky. It's what the legal professional considers equitable. You know, it may be an asset that was uh, pre-marriage. Uh, if that's the only asset available uh, to provide to the other spouse, I, I, you know, but you again, back to legal advice. Only an attorney can tell you about that. Uh, but no, there are no financial damages because your spouse withheld emotion. I can't tell you the number of times I've gotten this uh this request, and I have to say, no, please talk to an attorney and see what's allowed and not allowed. Okay, and lastly, number 10, my favorite. I'll take everything. I will take everything we own. I'll take the kids. I'll get full custody if you divorce me. Okay, so that's not going to happen. That only somebody who has no clue what's going on in the divorce laws of the state will say that. Only somebody who is overwhelmed with ego and fear. Fear is the driving factor. Yes, somebody who has to maintain control at all times. We might be talking about a narcissist or a sociopath or somebody who has anger management issues and bullies. You know, it's all of that. But no, nobody takes everything. And when people have said to me, you know, in my first divorce, uh, I was raked through the coals, she got everything or he got everything. And I know that didn't happen. If I sit you down and have you go through every asset, every debt, what was divided, what wasn't, what, what support ended up being, I believe I will find a different story. There is no state in the union that gives everything to one person just doesn't happen like that. You know, maybe there's very little money to go around. Maybe there, this is, uh, you've lived in debt all your ma uh, married life and you've lived beyond your means and there's nothing and everybody's in the poor house. Okay, that could be. But no, there is no state that gives every single thing to one person. So when somebody says to you, I'll take everything, I'll even get full custody of the kids. If you divorce me, that's fear saying, I am so very afraid of being divorced. I am so very embarrassed that I would be divorced. Embarrassment is a big issue. I am so very angry that you would think you have the control over your own life to do something that I don't want you to do. That's what it's saying. Do not take that seriously. How can you take that seriously? Well, people do because they're in fear about it, And I get that. But when people come here and say that to me, I'm like, no, no, can't happen. Not going to happen. Don't worry about it. Definitely see a lawyer, get your legal rights. This is where you, you're at right now. But no, not going to happen. No one's going to take everything from you. There'll be an equal division of assets and debts. 
Uh, we can run the software program for spousal support. And if there's children, child support. No. He or she is not going to take you for everything. It isn't going to happen. So don't even get in that argument. It's a pointless waste of time. Just, just say, well, we're going to involve legal professionals, so I'm just going to wait. What do you mean you're going to wait? I know what's going to happen, right? I know what the judge is going to do. I know what's going to happen. I'll get everything. There's no argument there. You can't argue. It's a pointless waste of time to argue, so don't. Don't bother. Just, all right, we'll see. We'll see. I hear you. Things like that. There's nothing else you can say. And then walk away, disengage from the conversation. All right, so those are the 10 misconceptions in divorce that will cost you unnecessarily stress, money, uh, physical health. Don't let these things happen to you. But let your other friends know about this episode. Have them tune in. This is extremely valuable information that we provide on a weekly basis, whether it's me interviewing people or me just sharing with you my experiences as a divorce mediator and a document preparation company. Extremely important. Subscribe, like, do all of the right things to push this podcast forward so you and everybody else needing help getting through divorce can get solid advice. You can email me your responses. You can email me through this website, theamicabledivorceexpert.com. Any ideas you may have for episodes? And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 